It's six weeks away from today, just so you know. Six weeks away, by the way, happy March. Today is March 1st, first day of the week. Great place to start uh, our month. Two months down, 10 months to go, but Easter's six weeks away. Our new business cards are in. Did you guys see them? They look really, really good. I hope you like them. They've got a color map on the back. It even says 3.7 miles to, to 150 Chippenham, 4 miles to 288 on the back there. It's uh, so people can find. And even has little sheets across the street and stuff like that. So all that's on the map on the back. And uh, Easter's six weeks away. We really want to uh, use that as a great opportunity to invite folks that norm normally wouldn't come and hear the message of the gospel and God's word. Turn with me where we'll start uh, Luke chapter 12 today. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Raise your hand. This does not mean raise your hand for the short devotion I mentioned. That's too late. That opportunity has now passed. We are moving into Luke chapter 12. If you need a Bible, we'll put one in your hand. Starting with verse 1. 12th chapter, 12 verses we will read. So it begins, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, that's always fun, uh, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have spoken in the ear and the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will show you to whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And, if, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. And when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And Lord, we ask now this same Holy Spirit would speak again as you faithfully do every time we open your word. And Lord, every one of us, including me, doing the speaking, Lord, would hear directly from you, for your word is powerful, sharp, living, active, and anointed. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Winston Churchill, you guys heard of him, right? Was at a cabinet meeting during World War II, and he was encouraging no surrender. And he said these words to those that were gathered before him. He said, I find it rather inspiring to stand alone. Nothing in life is so exhilarating 
as to be shot at without result. You know, we can have that kind of confidence, that kind of purpose, that kind of boldness to stand and not waver if, there's an if, it's conditional, if we know who we believe in and we faithfully follow his words. If Winston Churchill can have that kind of confidence, we certainly as born-again believers can have that kind of confidence in the Lord. If you're taking notes, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Who to Fear and How to Follow. Who to Fear and How to Follow. Hopefully you heard from the text, Jesus said there is someone to fear. There really is. That shirt that says no fear, it's only partially correct. It should say who to fear. But we'll look at three things in the text that I believe uh, the Lord would have us uh, really kind of glean. First is no to fraud. Second is no to fear. And third is yes to forgiveness. No to fraud. Does anyone like being a fraud? Does anyone like being called plastic? A hypocrite, fake, phony, two-faced. Those are all great things to be designated. Of course, they're not. Nobody really wants those things, but it's, it's a potential for all of us. So we'll look at no to fraud, no to fear, and yes to forgiveness. I want to draw your attention first to uh, verse 1 uh, before we look at the actual teaching aspect of it. Notice that Jesus, it says, that an innumerable multitude of people gathered to him. One of the things that uh, I want to always help us keep in mind is the ministry of Jesus that was taking place. Um, sometimes we get in our minds that uh, just a handful, you know, maybe not in the church, but maybe in the church as well, the unsaved world, that uh, you know Jesus had a smattering, a little cu- couple of people here, a couple of people in each village kind of knew about him, and he was mobbed. It it even further underscores uh, the work of the enemy that all that would be reversed and he actually would be crucified because he was going from village to village. Now, he did the vast majority of his ministry up there in Galilee, which if if you go to Israel, is the northern part up uh, north of Jerusalem, just past Samaria and all the way up uh, into what would be the southern Golan Heights today. But all of that area is where he did about 75, 80% of his ministry was in that area. But he would have people come from all over, Decapolis, from southern Lebanon, from Syria, multitudes. The witness was so strong. Nobody would ever be without excuse in that time and in that era because the word had gone out. And it had matriculated. Remember the time it gets to even Pilate and Herod, They had said they had heard of him or desired to hear from him. Of course, they could have any time they wanted to. They didn't really want to hear that much. That's really like a lot of people today, isn't it? I'd love to know more about that. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'll get to it in 10, 15 years when I'm done doing this or that or anything else that's really important. But there were throngs that really would come and and hear Jesus teach. 
And so he speaks, he speaks first to his own disciples. He turns to his own disciples, and he speaks first to them. But he's really speaking to the group. He's not just speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to everybody. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is, it, which is hypocrisy. Interesting that Jesus speaks about hypocrisy because any of us that have ever been alive any length of time have heard this statement, I go to church, but there's too many hypocrites there. Say, I'm glad you feel that way. Jesus does too. And since you feel so strongly, you should read his teaching on it. Because he then starts to talk about some heavy things related to hypocrisy. He too does not like hypocrisy. In Mark's gospel, Mark records Jesus saying this in Mark 8, 15. He says, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Jesus cites two variations of leaven in, the Mark, in Mark's gospel, Mark 8, 15, if you're taking notes. Now, neither variation is a good variation. In both, he's citing the negative. The Pharisees, they represented, what did the Pharisees represent? Well, there's overlap with this. Uh, to, to be sure, but the Pharisees represented rejection and false representation. They falsely represented God. They, they also represented rejection of Christ. Now, Herod, he represents kind of folded arms unbelief, right? This is the person that as soon as the seed falls, they don't believe any of it. Now, often in the scriptures, if you've read the scriptures, maybe you've read in the Old or New Testament, you've seen this word leaven. Leaven typically represents sin, but not always. If you've ever heard that it always represents sin, it does not always represent sin in the Scripture, but that is most often what it refers to. In Luke 13, when we get to the 13th chapter, you'll actually see that leaven is actually used by Jesus to represent the kingdom of God and how it will expand. But here it absolutely refers to sin and things that are common in the Pharisees that would separate them and us from God. Now since the time of at least the Egyptians, yeast, you guys all know about baker's yeast, yeast is actually a type of fungi. It was common as a leavening agent since ancient times in making bread that rises. Now this happens when fermentable sugars present in the dough, are converted to carbon dioxide and ethanol, which produces the, the gas bubbles that causes the dough and then ultimately uh, the bread to expand and then to rise. That's your science lesson for the day. I hope you enjoyed that. But it only takes a couple of specks of yeast, just a couple of specks of yeast to impact the dough. It only takes us a couple specks of sin and unbelief to keep us from Jesus Christ. It doesn't take much to keep a person from Christ. A couple of specks. The most righteous person that ever lived is still a long ways from God, whether they recognize it or not. But like yeast, what starts out small eventually envelops the whole lump. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Whether it be in a church, whether it be in Israel, like Achan, you know, they, they, would, they lost the battle because of one man's sin. But a little bit of sin in us, a little bit of sin in the camp, a little bit of sin in the church, 
leavens the whole lump. And like pride and deception, it doesn't stay there. It expands like a loaf of bread. It doesn't just stay there. It gets worse. If sin is not dealt with, it gets worse. And you see this around the world. You see it in governments. You see it in, you know, illegal activity. You see it in drug use. You see it in morality. If it's not repentant of and dealt with, does it get better? No, it expands. It only grows. It's like a cancer. So Jesus warns here to understand the leaven in life. He's warning the disciples, he's warning us to understand the leaven in the life of the Pharisees. They had a specific leaven in their lives, and Jesus is warning to make sure it's not present in the life of his followers. And Jesus gets very specific of what this leaven is. It's right there in the text, which is hypocrisy. That's called clarity in teaching, isn't it? Jesus is like, I wonder what leaven he's talking about. It is hypocrisy. That's exactly what he wants us to understand. They've rejected God, and they've rejected his forgiveness, but they still have an outward show to perform. Make sense? These are the Pharisees. They've rejected God because they've rejected his son, but they still have an outward religious show to perform for everybody. The yeast is there. Jesus knows their true condition, doesn't he? He knows their true condition, and eventually, he says, everyone else will too. The Pharisees and Herod, think back to what I mentioned about Mark 8, 15. The Pharisees and Herod, both of them, both those groups, had an outward work to present as evidence that they had been accepted by God. A lot of people present an outward work or evidence that they've been accepted by God. But you can't be accepted by God without being first accepted by Jesus Christ. This is something many people either don't know yet, or when they hear it, they don't agree with it and don't believe it. Oh, I can be accepted by God. I remember one time I was uh, in South Florida, we had gotten saved, and, and I was sharing Christ with two Brazilian Catholics. And they were friends, and, and I was just sharing with them, and they, they said, oh, we believe, uh, I, I know this is going to, some of you are going to say, how is this possible? Well, around the world, Catholicism has different, you know, it depends on who the, the region is and who the priest is, and there's all kinds of different variations. There's not one, just like you'll find even, even in, in many Protestant denominations, there's different variations of what's taught from the pulpit. I mean, good night, we've got, uh, we've got many pastors that don't even believe the Bible's inspired anymore. But anyway, they, these two, they, they, they considered themselves devout Catholics, and they told me, oh, we believe in God, we just don't believe we need Jesus Christ. I said, then you can't have God. And, and it, it's not my opinion, I'll show it to you in the scriptures. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's not like a, a well, I'll loop around Jesus to God. And I'll impress him with all of my pharisaical activity. Herod, the Pharisees, they had these outward works. But they couldn't come to God 
without Christ. The Pharisees, their outward works were visible to everybody. What were they? Well, they were teachers. They were busy rebuking people. You'd see them praying. Boy, would they pray out loud. You'd see them giving their financial gifts. They'd make sure you saw them dump it, and it made a lot of noise. They had their religious attire. They quoted the law, too. And new laws that they made up that sounded even really spiritual. Herod, what was he doing? Well, he was expanding the temple. What you see of the foundation of the temple today, or what what Herod had done, uh, he was making that temple even more grand and more impressive in size than the original temple that Solomon built that we looked at last week. He was currying the favor of the religious leaders, and Herod thought God also would be impressed with what he'd done, even though he would kill people at the drop of a hat, even though he was very, very ruthless and vindictive, he still had some religious fig leaves to show. The Pharisees had a lot of them to show. But religious activity is not a relationship with God, is it? Because that comes through who? Jesus. You can't have a relationship with God unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have a knowledge of God, but a knowledge of God is not a relationship with God. A lot of people are aware. Matter of fact, Romans says everyone knows God exists. God exists. That all men are without excuse. They won't even be able to say when they get to judgment day, I was an atheist. God would say, I don't believe an atheist. It's a title of Ronald Ray Comfort's book. I love it. But the same thing is true today as was true then. Hypocrisy was common. The leaven of hypocrisy was common then. It's still common today. C.S. Lewis, who's no longer with us, of course, he wrote, I believe that there are too many practitioners in the church who are not believers. Practitioners in the church, but not believers. Jesus is warning of this. Many haven't really believed in Christ. They haven't put their faith and trust in Christ. Like Herod, they're still on the throne of their own hearts. And they're still on the throne of their own lives. And many in the church... In America, South America, the church in Europe, they've really rejected Jesus as Lord of their life. Like Pharisees, they, they've listened. Remember the Pharisees listened to Jesus. They would, even, they would even come out and listen to his messages. Say, well, I must be a believer because I listen to messages. No, the Pharisees did that too. They listened like this. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Definitely don't agree with that. And certainly we don't like him. They listened to Jesus, but they wouldn't follow him. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, if Jesus cannot control you, he cannot save you. If he cannot control all of you, he cannot control any of you. It's true. Whom the Lord saves, he takes total control. Jesus uh, lets us know that You'll leave all to follow me. And the scriptures say that we were bought with a price. We're no longer our own. Aren't you glad if you're saved, you're no longer your own? That actually God has full control now? When I had full control, I made a mess of everything. Even when God has full control now, I still make a mess of things. There's still enough of me in me until we get to that day when we're completely made 
perfect in his image. But Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They have, they have a lot of understanding of what I'm saying, but they don't surrender. They haven't really surrendered and asked me to be the Lord of their life. But in addition to the rejection of Christ, when Jesus is speaking of this leaven of hypocrisy, the biggest one is their rejection of Christ, their rejection of the truth that Christ brings. But that's not the only thing. He's speaking of some other things here too. They also have some hidden sins. Remember, outwardly, these guys have it together. These guys are the best tithers and givers. These guys are the best prayers. If that's a term, it's probably not. But anyway, these guys know the most Scripture. They've memorized the most Scripture. These guys are the holiest in the villages and towns that they live in or in Jerusalem, wherever they may be. These are the ones. But they also have a whole bunch of other sins that no one knows about but Jesus. You may be familiar with John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where the woman is caught in adultery. And who, was it, who is it that brings her to Jesus? The Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes, they bring her. They're going to stone her because they're going to make sure that sin is stamped out on their watch. The Pharisees intended to stone her, but Jesus saves her life. If you go and read John chapter 8, Jesus saves her life by writing on the ground. We have no idea what he wrote. I mean, we might have ideas, but we don't, we don't know what he wrote. Nobody can say for certainty what he wrote. But I'll tell you one thing, we know what he could have wrote. He could have wrote anything that was in their hearts and minds that no one else knows about. What we do know is they all just kind of slip away. Because whatever he starts writing, there is a heavy conviction on everybody there. And everyone's like, uh, i got to go get lunch, and I, I need, I've got places to be, and I... What were we thinking? Did anyone check on the donkeys? You know, those kind of things. (laughs) Everybody found something to do. Now, verse 3, it says, Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetop. Now, this is not to be confused. This sounds similar, but don't confuse this with Matthew 10, 27, where Jesus says, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear, preach on the housetops. Totally different verse, totally different context. There, it, whatever Jesus tells you and I in our quiet time, in our devotions, in, in when we're gathered like this in a church service, in a Bible study, the things that God tells us that are true, we are free to go, not only free, but commanded to go and tell it to the world. What he's speaking of here is something completely different. He says, the things you have been doing in the dark, no one knows about but me and the Father, and it's going to be exposed. And someday, everyone will know about it. It could be secret sin. It could be immorality. It could be gossip. It could be all kinds of covetousness. It could be greed. Say, well, what if I get away with it and no one ever finds out in this lifetime? Well, there's a housetop called the Great White Throne Judgment too, where everyone will find out at that place, oh, you weren't really that deeply righteous spiritual person. Jesus will, he's saying that someday it'll all come out. 
Nobody will ever get away with the secret sins. Someone had someone murdered and no one knew about it. By the way, the Pharisees would do things like that. God knows who did it. And if they don't repent, someday those things will all come out. But for you and I, we don't want to have hidden sin and we don't want to have a hypocritical life, do we? James says, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same openings? No, we should always have the fresh water of... That doesn't mean we're perfect. We're not perfect. But there's a big difference between living a hypocritical life and a non-hypocritical life. No one lives a perfect life. And if you want to split hairs, you could say, well, to some degree, everyone's a hypocrite. Yes, that's true. That's true. But Jesus identifies that people will hear at the end of the age, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well done, good and hypocritical servant. We know the difference. People try and make an argument, but just and that's just to protect their own desires, isn't it? You can't play mind games with God. He knows when we're being truthful, he knows when we're being sincere, and he knows when we scrape our knees, but that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying, I am one thing and completely be another. What we say is we're sinners saved by grace and we're growing day by day. Amen? The Pharisees weren't saying that. They were saying, we are super spiritual, we can stone you for adultery, and some of them were in adultery. The very things that they were calling out. Spurgeon says, sincerity makes the very least person to be of more value, valuable than the most talented hypocrite. Sincerity makes the very least person to be of more value than the most talented hypocrite. God doesn't want talented people. He wants surrendered people, humble people. Let's look at the next section that Jesus teaches on. He teaches on the fear of the Lord. I tell you, my friends, isn't that nice to hear? Just let that sink in. Jesus speaking to you and me, Let it apply to you. Jesus is speaking to all of us. I tell you, my friends. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad if you're saved? You're like Abraham. He was called the friend of God. Through Jesus Christ, you and I are the friend of God. By the way, that that statement about Abraham, it's mentioned three times in the scriptures. Three times it tells us in the Bible that Abraham was the friend of God. And we're all sons and daughters of him through faith. Those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, we're called also the sons and daughters of Abraham through faith. We also are friends of God. But my favorite passage of it, where it says three times in the scriptures, Abraham being the friend of God, my favorite is Isaiah 41.8. Write it down. You, you might need to read it sometimes just for encouragement. Isaiah 41.8, where God says it specifically from his own mouth. He says, Abraham, my friend. Isn't that amazing? He created Abraham. Abraham, my friend. He would say, Tim, my friend. Whatever your name is, because I can't name all of you at the moment. We'll be here a long time. My friend. It's that alone, he starts whether you realize it or not, with an encouragement right out of the gate. Before fear, he has an encouraging word. You are my friend. But why aren't we supposed to be afraid of men? He says, do not fear those who can kill the body. After that, they have no more they can do. 
why are we not supposed to fear men? We do fear men. We talked about this Friday night at the fellowship. We said, hey, you know, does anyone, I was talking to the whole group, and I'm like, do any of you ever want to hide your light? Of course, every hand's like this. Part of us wants to tell everyone we meet about the gospel. Why don't we? Because as part of us wants to, we want to tell everybody. I'll tell the barista, I'll tell the supermarket person, I'll tell the coworker. You get there and say, I'll take a, um, you want to go to lunch? Uh, and, and it just doesn't come up. We have a fear of man, we're fear of ridicule, we fear you know, being rejected, we have these fears, but we're not supposed to fear men. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't fear anyone. Not even evil, vile, demonic men like Nero and Stalin and Hitler and bloodthirsty men in our day like those that are serving in ISIS and North Korea's Kim Jong-un and even dishonest men and dishonest people that can defraud us and, and really uh, deceive us. We're not supposed to fear any of these. And yet, the fear still comes in, doesn't it? But Jesus gives us two reasons here why we don't have to and why he commands us, not just don't have to, he commands us not to fear. First of all, the first reason is Jesus said not to. If that's the only reason, think about it, if the only reason we're not supposed to fear man is Jesus said not to, we can do one of these. Those of you in the military, we can say, Yes, sir. That's it. Jesus said, it, think about it. Anything Jesus said, he does not need a qualifier. He can simply say, do not fear men and be done with the teaching. But he goes on. First reason, Jesus said not to. You know, there's a comfort I find the longer I'm saved. This is, we got saved through obedience. We heard the call of the gospel and we obeyed it. Our whole life after that will continue to be obedience. Abraham, again, is a great example of this. It's a great comfort I have in just saying, okay, Lord, and moving forward. He said, don't fear. Let's not fear. But number two, he says, if we die, we can no longer be harmed or harassed. Paul said to be absent from the body was a better thing for him. But he stayed because, he said, I'm staying because of all you guys. He loved them. He wasn't just saying it. I got to stay because of y'all. But to be absent from the body is a good thing, Jesus says. We can't be harmed, can't be harassed anymore, and we would enter into incomprehensible glory and peace and joy and rest and no more flu, and no more sickness, and no more knee pain, and no more getting laid off and whatever else that happens in life. All those things would be gone. For the disciples, though, Someday, and we see this in verses 8 through 12, someday the Pharisees and the leaders, the religious leaders, they were going to turn on them the same way they are already turning on Jesus and ultimately will put Jesus to death. They're going to turn on the disciples the same way Jesus is forewarning them that that kind of turning is coming. But he still wants them to pay attention to his teaching and pay no attention to their threats. That makes sense? He still wants them to pay attention to his teaching, pay no attention to their threats. Christian, CCR believer, every minute, hear me on this, every minute of our life has already been accounted for. Do you realize that? 
God knows exactly how long you're going to live. You're going to live to be 88 years, two days, and three seconds, or whatever it is. Every minute of our life has already been accounted for. Everything that will happen to us has already been accounted for. Everything, Jesus has already gone before us. Our steps have been ordered, and God will bring them to pass. That's why I prayed for a protected prophet. Do you believe that God can send a Jonah into the middle of ISIS? They can't even touch him? I mean, stand there just like you see in the book of Revelation when the two witnesses, they can't even be touched. They can call fire down out of heaven. God can do that. He can send a guy like Jonah who doesn't even want to preach to him. He wants no part of them, and they can't touch him. Matter of fact, when he gets, they all weep and repent. And he's saying to the disciples, I've preordained what you're going to do. Paul, I don't care if it's a shipwreck. I don't care if it's a snake bite. I don't care if it's a stone, and I'll raise you back up from the dead. You will go where I say to go, and do not worry about it. I've already preordained it will happen. Moses felt the same way. I can't go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh will off my head. He doesn't say that, but we know what he's thinking. You don't go before Pharaoh and tell him, here's what I want you to do. Try and do that with Vladimir Putin. I've been thinking, Vladimir, you don't get to think after that sentence, right? Unless you're protected by God. Moses was protected. Abraham was protected. Gideon was protected. Jonah was protected. They'll be protected, not forever. Peter will end up dying a martyr's death. But Jesus said, don't worry about that, because then you'll be with me. But he says, there is someone you should fear. Jesus throws in this reminder. He says, there is one. I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. By the way, God does kill. Eventually, everyone will die. For us that are saved... We're not killed, we're brought home. I think it was, I uh, can't remember which guy, was it Chesterton or Spurgeon? I can't remember. But one of them said that uh, for, for, the, for the sinner, death is an execution. For those that are saved, it's putting off the, the infirmities of this life and going on to be with the Lord. But God does destroy. He does bring judgment. He really does someday do to places like he did to Sodom. He does destroy. He does take the life. Everyone has a, a final moment. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to understand who you should fear, fear the one that actually put the breath in your lungs. Not Now, those of us are saved, not a fear like this. But I've said this before, a healthy respect fear that, you know, those of you that like football, if you had a coach like Vince Lombardi, and he said, run this play, you didn't say, I'm going to run a different play. Right? What would Vince Lombardi say to a player that says, no, I'm not running that play? Vince Lombardi says, you're not on this team. You're done. Take a seat. And we have a healthy fear that the Lord says, Lord, your ways, not my ways. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That fear of the Lord that says, Lord, we Know that you have the power over Satan, you have the power over our lives, you have the power over the future, the past, the present. We're to fear the Lord. I was talking recently with another pastor. We were talking about a tragic situation, real situation, where a man that had used to walk with the Lord, 
had seen tremendous fruit in his ministry. He had walked away from the Lord. A lot of devastating things after that. And this other pastor said to me, he goes, you know, if I ever get the opportunity, I'd like to ask him one question. I said, what's that? He said, I'd ask him, when did you stop fearing the Lord? Christian, don't ever stop fearing the Lord. God's still holy, isn't he? He still sits on a throne. He will call into account everything, our secret thoughts, our secret actions. He's going to call it into account. That's why we go to the mercy seat day after day. Say, Lord, cleanse me. I have a healthy fear of the Lord. I could not stand in this pulpit if I didn't have a fear of the Lord. I couldn't. I I can stand in here imperfect, just as any of you could. But I couldn't stand in here without a fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord makes sure that I never alter his words to make it feel comfy, accommodating. Because then I'd have to answer for why did you mislead people? Samuel Johnson said, shame arises from the fear of man, conscience from the fear of God. Our conscience should always have that fear of God. And yet Jesus goes on to say, at the same time, I don't want you to fear men, but I do want you to continue to have a healthy fear of the Lord. Know that just like, remember remember what happened if the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall off? Could you grab it with your hands? Mm -mm. That happened. They died instantaneously. The fear of the Lord said, let it hit the ground before you touch it. Do not go there. And a healthy fear of the Lord says, Lord, you said don't do this, don't think this way, don't operate this way, I will follow you. But at the same time, he says, I don't want you to fear people, and I don't want you to fear the consequences of following me. You just have faith in those areas. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Didn't, it no, didn't you notice that no fear comes with love and a sound mind? Matter of fact, the Bible says perfect love Cast out fear, doesn't it? Cast it out. You know, some of the people that are in the Middle East that, uh, you know, listening to some of the testimonies coming through ministries like Joel Rosenberg's and Mike McIntosh uh, is in close contact. I've seen some communiques through Pastor Jack Hibbs and others. Uh, There's some Christians over there that are absolutely fearless. I mean, just, I can't get out how fearless they are. Matter of fact, some of them have no qualms whatsoever praying for the most bloodthirsty men and saying, if they kill me, I hope they come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. How does that happen? Because it's perfect love that drives out fear. They have a fear of the Lord, but they don't have a fear of man. They actually have a love for lost souls, and that comes through who? The Holy Spirit via Jesus. We don't have to fear. He goes on to say, are not five sparrows... Uh, for copper, uh, sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God. It's, it, it's always neat to understand that Jesus sometimes will remind us that he's even watching things that we have. Now, while we've been sitting here, ten sparrows may have landed on a tree outside. We don't know it, and God does. And he, he actually is focused on everything. The entire universe. The subatomic level. How many moons are orbiting some planet in an outer galaxy? He's aware of it. 
And all that to say, look, I've got all that under control, and I still put more value on your souls than anything else. But I'm still aware of all the other stuff too. God is the only one that can multitask and never be distracted. And yet he says, you are of more value. The number of hairs on your head are numbered. It really is true. God really does know how many hairs we have. I don't think it's an important thing. He's just letting you know my knowledge of everything. And at the same time, I have you safely in hand. Don't fear people. Fear me. Have a healthy fear of the Lord. Don't go your own way. Cling to the old rugged cross. But he says, you don't have to fear. Isn't it great? Here we can all take a deep breath. You have permission not to fear anymore. Not for me. I have to remember I've been... I have been given permission. People will spend money to sit before a psychiatrist and hear those kind of words. You have permission not to fear anymore. You're laying on a couch. I really, I do? Yes, because a PhD just told me I have permission not to fear anymore. Hey, the God who created the universe has already told us we have permission not to fear anymore. I can say to the enemy and my flesh, Think about it. You can do the same. I can say to the enemy of my flesh, sorry, I don't have to fear and stress out about this. I don't have to. I can. I can decide to be a knots if I want to, but I say, I don't have to. I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to go there. I love that song. I think we sometimes sing it here in worship. The enemy has to flee at your great name. I don't know what the title of it is, just the song popped in my head. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known, known unto God. I have to tell myself encouraging scriptures. Do you, do you guys ever quote scripture to yourself to get you out of a fearful, anxious moment? I do. Here's, a couple of my fa- here's two of my favorites. You might like them. I will quote to myself Jeremiah 31, 3. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Isn't that great? It goes back with that statement, my friend. I've loved you with everlasting love. There's nothing you and I have ever done to warrant God's love. But he's, yet, he's loved us with an everlasting love. The second one I like to quote, we're going to get to later in this chapter. Verse 32 of this same 12th chapter. I love Jesus. I love these words. He says, do not fear, little flock. Do not fear, little flock. Do not fear, little family. Do not fear, little single woman. Do not fear, little single man. Do not fear, widow, widower. Do not fear, mom or dad. Do not fear, teenager. Little flock is everyone that's in the little flock. And sometimes the flock is real small. And he says, don't fear. I don't know how many times we have to hear it from God, but we still don't think we have permission to stop fearing, to stop being anxious about everything. But it's a real comfort we say, here you go, God. I'll throw them over to you. You you know how to handle them. Put them on a black hole wherever you put fears. And we can live that way. Last, Last thing, verses 8 through 12, yes to forgiveness. A complicated section in, in some respects, we could spend many weeks on verses 8 through 12. We're not. 
Whoever, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. He who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him. He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And then he goes on to say, when they bring you before this again, when the Pharisees and the religious leaders will turn against, they're going to bring you before magistrates. You're going to be brought up for charges. It's going to be trumped up charges, but nevertheless, you're going to be brought up for charges. Don't worry about what to say. And then in the book of Acts, we see some of these things happen, like Peter and John, and, and they do. They speak mightily for the Lord. But why do I call this little section, Yes to Forgiveness? Well, verses 8 to 12 speak to me in this way. If anyone, kind of an umbrella statement here, if anyone will hear the call of Jesus for salvation, anyone, if anyone is thirsty, let him come, right? Anyone will, if anyone will hear the call of salvation, which hopefully all of you have done, and if you haven't, I hope you do it today. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. March 1st. Tomorrow will be another day of salvation for those who hear it tomorrow. But he will bring us, if we, first, if we first answer to the call of salvation, what do we have a promise? Well, he'll bring us to heaven, right? He'll bring us to heaven someday. But he'll also guide us through every second of life, however long that's going to be. It's appointed unto man once to die. He's going to bring us all the way through, even through the tough times, amen? It's going to be some tough times. He'll bring us through those too. And so these verses tell us a few things. Number one... It tells us how to be forgiven. It's a little different representation of the gospel. The gospel has different angles. It's all one gospel, but you can look at it from different angles. And here Jesus says, whoever confesses me before men. Number one, how to be forgiven. Well, how are we forgiven? Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that the Lord, Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We have to confess with our mouth, Lord, I believe. It all starts with belief. If you do not believe, you can't be saved. Whosoever believes will be saved. Lord, I believe you are the only way to the Father. I believe you're the only way to salvation. I believe your blood is the only thing that cleanses from sin. Not doing the rosary, not praying before Mecca, not doing this, not doing that, not going to church uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, whatever it may be, none of those things bring salvation. Amen? Confessing with our mouth, believe with our heart that God has raised him from the dead. And it's at the heart level that repentance takes place. That's where, that's where it really takes place. And the one who's truly believed on Christ, get this, will keep confessing the rest of their life. Not confessing in the sense that we need to be resaved, but will continue forever. The name of Jesus will be on our lips. And we'll, this is how it works. Well, what changed you? Jesus saved me. That's how we confess him before men the rest of our life. We also confess this way every morning, every afternoon, and evening. Lord, forgive me, I sinned again. I thought I would never, ever do that one again. I thought I would never tell another lie, ever. Then comes Tuesday, and we've told one, right? Well, it wasn't a full lie. It was almost true. Our flesh is still there, and we're confessing again. But he, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So we will confess Christ for salvation, we'll confess him as a testimony, and we'll continue to confess because we have the Holy Spirit convicting us of daily infractions, things that would keep us from having that harmony with the Lord. He also says how not to be forgiven. How can a person guarantee they will not be forgiven? Here's how it happens. If your life ends and you have still been in rejection and resistance to the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. He says, anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Sometimes people say blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is something. I remember when I first got saved and I thought I, I had committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I thought I had, I had these weird thoughts that I got saved and I asked like a really uh, committed, deep brother in the Lord down in Florida, and like, that's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I said, I don't know. I had these weird, I was praying, and curse words came into my head, and all, it's just crazy stuff. I don't know where it's coming from. I've only been saved for like a year, and, and uh, I said, that's just, that's just the enemy. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to say no thanks to salvation. The Holy Spirit keeps knocking and saying, come unto him, come unto him, come unto him, come unto him. And the person says, not now, maybe later, not now, maybe later, not at all. I don't believe. I'm an atheist. Whatever the answer is, I don't have time. It's blasphemy. God says, I sent my Holy Spirit, the same one who hovered over the face of the deep. I sent the Spirit of the living God to speak to you. And you said, I'm not interested. I sent my Holy Spirit to tell you, my son bled all his blood out. And you said, that's great. I hope that makes somebody feel happy. And God says, that won't be forgiven if you die in that state. That's what he's saying. That's how not to be forgiven is to reject the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8, it says of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. No one will ever say, well, you didn't warn me about judgment. God will say, yes, I did. I sent the Holy Spirit, and you, reject, you rejected the Spirit. Acts 7, 15, Stephen stood up just before he was stoned. He said, you stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That's how to not be forgiven, is to say no thanks to the Spirit. What about how to stand? Jesus says, when they bring you into the synagogues, magistrates, do not worry. How are we going to stand? Well, we're going to stand by Ephesians 6, 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. See, if we've, if we've received forgiveness, we not only receive the testimony that's on our lip and the forgiveness daily from our sins where we go back to the Lord, we also receive the Holy Spirit who then reminds us of Jeremiah chapter 31 or reminds us of Luke chapter 13 or reminds us of whatever the verse that you need at that moment, the Holy Spirit will say, you'll be able to stand because I'll strengthen your legs. He doesn't need bodyguards or anything else. He says, I will be your rear guard and go before you, and I'll help you to stand. What about what to say? Verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I use this even in little things. Even this morning, I was like, Lord, I think I'll know if you want to cancel this service or not, because I believe you'll show me. And if I say, do you all want to cancel the service or not cancel service? I believe by faith, I think I know what their answer is going to be. We'll know at the moment, won't we? 
Wherever we go in life, it's not always a life or death situation. We just need to know what to say. Sometimes we need to know what to say when a coworker asks a question and they're asking a sincere question and you've got about 50 things you could say, but you need one. And God gives you the right words. Now, if you're not spending time with the Lord Jesus, you won't get the one. You'll say the wrong thing because you're just acting in the flesh. Right? And then we're going back later. Oh, I wish I would have said this and this and this and this. Oh, I wasn't praying this morning. I didn't have any time with the Lord. We'll know in that hour what to say when we're walking in harmony with the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's when we'll know what to say. But as we come to a close, and by the way, listen to this verse from 1 Peter 4, 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. It has to be the Lord. Amen? He'll teach us how to follow him. He'll teach us what we really should fear. He'll teach us what we shouldn't fear. But church, as we come to a close, I'm going to ask you a question. Two questions. First, do we want to see faith, hope, and joy rise in our life? Is anyone here that doesn't want to see faith, hope, and joy rise in your life? Like you want to be more filled from foot to head with more faith, hope, and joy. First, that's the first question. Number two, do we want to see hypocrisy identified in us by the Holy Spirit and have it cleansed and removed before everybody else notices it? It's a good question too, isn't it? I do. I know there's times when there's hypocrisy in me, and I'm glad when the Holy Spirit says, that's hypocrisy. I want to have it dealt with between me and the Lord before it's on the rooftop. Right? But I also want to see faith, hope, and joy rise in our lives, in my life. And here's an itemized counsel from Scripture to deal with those things. Listen, you write these, we're coming to a close right here. Number one, number one, these are these are practical things from Jesus and the scriptures to, to ensure that we have faith, hope, and joy rise in our life and that we have these areas of hypocrisy identified by the Holy Spirit. Number one, start hanging out regularly with Jesus in the Word, in prayer, and personal worship. You say, well, that's not our shattering new. No. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so are the commands. If there's not anything new, but they're tried and true. Amen? The new things are not always the best things, are they? The tried and true thing. Number one, start hanging out more with Jesus in word, prayer, and worship. And I'll add one that's part of that same one. And tell him often that you love him. When you tell Jesus often that you love him, you have a hard time doing things against him. Tell them often. Stop in the middle of your day and say, Lord, I love you. Number two, start speaking the scriptures to ourselves. Don't wait for a pastor to share it on the radio. Don't, those are good things, by the way. Don't wait for a teaching on Sunday or Wednesday night or a Bible study. Speak them to ourselves on a regular basis. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And number three, the last one, you're doing it right now. Start hanging out 
with bold and faithful people and prioritize our time to do it more. Start hanging out with bold and faithful people and prioritize our time to do it more. When I hang out with bold and faithful people, I get more bold and faithful. When I hang out with people that are lukewarm and really couldn't care less, I am in a downer just like them. Just being around Christian men and women, not even the bold and mighty ones, just being around Christians, maybe no one here is bold and mighty, is still a huge help. Why? Because a bunch of weak cords wound together become a strong rope. Amen? And that's why we need each other. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word is faithful and true. We know, Lord Jesus, that you hate hypocrisy, but, Lord, you love to work in us and to remove it from our lives. We know, Lord, that we struggle with fear and anxiety, but, Lord, you've come to deliver us from being fearful. We know, Lord, that you will help us to stand and to speak in every situation in life, even the most difficult days. Maybe some are ahead of us, and, Lord, yet you will be there because you preordained our steps. And, Lord, we want to know and believe deep within us that you have us, that you love us, that you call us friends. And just continue to teach us and reassure us, Lord, not to walk by fear other than the fear of the Lord, which brings strength and peace and joy to our lives. Lord, help us to strengthen and encourage one another as we need each other and will even more, as Hebrews said, as the day approaches of your return. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the men to come forward. They're going to pass out the elements. We do have the first Sunday of every month. We take.